Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Our third author today is Quaker minister Ashley Wilcox, the author of Fresh Off the Presses, The Women's Lectionary, Preaching the Women of the Bible Throughout the Year, a handbook for feminist preachers. This comprehensive resource features more than 100 commentaries with an Old Testament and New Testament passage for each Sunday of the year and special holy days in the calendar. Ashley, over to you. Thank you, Liam, for that introduction. And thanks to Luther Seminary for having us. I'm feeling so energized by this uh, panel so far. I'm ready to go out and preach. So thank you, Wes and Lisa, for that. Um, I am going to give an overview of what I'm about to talk about, and then we'll go through it. And I'm going to ask some questions in the chat, so be ready to respond. I will give a brief discussion of lectionaries and then talk about why I took on this project of the women's lectionary and my experience of writing it. And then give an example of how the text we choose reveal themes in the Bible and kind of surprising ones for me. And then some suggestions on how you can use the women's lectionary. So starting with lectionaries, I'm sure most of you are very familiar with lectionaries, probably the revised common lectionary, maybe others, um, but I'm a Quaker. I come from a tradition where we don't use a lectionary and some of you may not. Uh, so I thought I would start with a brief definition, which is a lectionary is a calendar of readings that churches use in worship. A calendar of readings that churches use in worship. And many churches and denominations pick a lectionary and use that to determine their preaching texts for each week, for holidays, and the year as they go along. So for those of you who do use lectionaries, which ones do you use? You can add in the chat. Revised Common Lectionary, yep, <laughs> seeing a lot of that. Yeah, okay, yeah. Anyone use other uh, narrative lectionary? Yeah, that's another one. So there are a variety of lectionaries. Uh, there's also the African-American lectionary. There's year D, which adds a year to the lectionary and there are others. So there are a variety, but the revised common lectionary is the most common. Um, and what are some of the benefits of using a lectionary that you found in your context? You can write this in the chat too benefits of using a lectionary. Familiarity, yeah. Consistency, variety of texts. It takes you places you might not go. You can't keep preaching on your favorite texts. Easy to collaborate. Yeah, there's a whole community of people who are using the same text. And so you can talk to each other about it. Ease of selection. Yeah, lots of good responses. I find it easy to work with um, your music director or planning so you know what's coming. <laughs> um, and there are some downsides to using a lectionary, including leaving things out, uh, repeating the same text over and over. If you are in a church that uses the Revised Common Lectionary and you preach for you know, 20 or 30 years, you're gonna see those same texts a lot of times. 
Um, and like Lisa said, sometimes something blew up yesterday and you need to be responsive in the moment and the lectionary text may not get you there. So um, you might want something different. So for those of you who don't preach from the lex lectionary or a lectionary, um, what are some upsides to not preaching from a lectionary of using sermon series or preacher's choice um, or working through a book? Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so upsides, creativity. Yeah. Yeah, using different passages, especially if you're going directly through a book, like you may come up with things that you never preached on before. Sermon series coordinate with Sunday school. Yeah, that gives you some uh, freedom to collaborate in that way. Yeah, preaching on a theme can help you go deep into that theme. So there are also some downsides to this approach of not using lectionary. And some of them are that you can use the text to support your view instead of the other way around. So like you just come up with an idea and then you find a text that will support it. Um, you can do the same things instead of going to something new or you can ignore whole parts of the Bible. And that's true in lectionaries as well. Uh, so my book, The Women's Lectionary, is hot off the presses. I got my copy yesterday, and the official release date is August 31st, but I've heard that some pre-orders are getting theirs now, so this is happening. It's exciting. It's so exciting to hold it in my hands and to see it, and I wanted to give some context about this project and how I started it. Um, it started a few years ago when I was pastoring a church called Church Mary Magdalene, which I co-founded. And this was a church that was specifically for women who preach, that women preach every week. And in this church, it was my first time as a weekly preacher. Up until then, I had been a guest preacher in a lot of places or an occasional preacher, and preaching weekly was really different, as I'm sure you know, um, because, you know, you have to keep going every week, and you are in the same congregation every week, and so finding those ways to keep connecting. And about a year into this, I felt really torn between using the Revised Common Lectionary, which I often did, and preaching on passages about women. And I would try and find the passages in the RCL about women, but uh, they weren't always there. They would skip over things. And my church, the people in my church really responded when we preached about women. And so I was talking about this with my partner one day about how I like the community of the RCL, but I really wanted to preach more about women. And he just said to me, well, why don't you write your own lectionary? <laughs> and <laughs> this idea just really inspired me. And so I took some time and I was like, can I do this? Is this possible? And I put together a calendar and it was, there weren't enough texts in the Bible to do a full year on women and feminine images of God. And so I started using it and that's how this project started. And it was great. I loved it. And during this time, I was also teaching, preaching at Candler um, with Professor uh, Ted Smith. 
And I took this idea to him and he suggested that I write commentaries for all of the passages. And so that's how this idea became a book. I suddenly had a large assignment. And so I was preaching on these passages and then um, uh, writing the commentaries using my exegesis to go through. And so that's how I got here with the women's lectionary. And I found that when I um, preached on women consistently, I found themes that hadn't emerged before. And one of these was leveret marriage, which seems very strange, but comes up a lot. <laughs> um, and I'll show you how. So do we have some Bible nerds here? Is there anyone who wants to write in the chat what leveret marriage is? Do you remember this law? Yes, Kara. <laughs> Uh, one of my former students, would you give us a little uh, description? Mm -hmm. Yep. Tanya, you got it. When the brother takes the widow as his wife. So this is from uh, Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. And I won't read the whole thing. I'll just summarize. If a man dies with no son, his brother shall marry his widow and their firstborn son will carry on the name of the man who died. And so there are several purposes for this, but two in particular are that this will continue the man's name, the man who died, and his inheritance. And the second is that it will protect his widow. This is in a patriarchal society that will protect the widow, give her support in this family. And so this does seem like a strange, obscure law, but I started seeing it kind of everywhere in the Bible. <laughs> Uh, the first place was in Genesis 38 and the story of Tamar, the first Tamar. And she is the daughter-in-law of Judah, um, brother of Joseph. And she married one of his sons who died. And then she married the second son who also died. And then he had a third son and Judah refused to give Tamar in marriage to um, the third son because he was afraid he was going to die. So he wasn't following this law. And so uh, long story short, Tamar tricked her father-in-law into having sex with her so that she would be impregnated. And um, because he won't follow this law. And when Judah learns what Tamar has done, uh, before he learns, he says, you know, she's a prostitute and she needs to burn. But then when he learns what she's done and why, he says, she is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to my son. Following this law, like he understands that she's right here. So that's the first instance. The second is in Ruth, um, which is probably a more familiar story. When Ruth says to Boaz, I am your next of kin. And Ruth is telling Boaz that as the closest male relative, he must marry her and their first son will be considered the offspring of her deceased husband. And so this is the reason that Boaz offers Ruth to a closer relative first before marrying her. And also the reason that when Ruth has a son, the women in the neighborhood say, a son has been born to Naomi because the son is coming from her line, from her son. And so on to Jesus. And this is my final example, but it's a good one. So in Luke 20, the Sadducees come to Jesus and bring him a question about leveret marriage. 
they say a woman's husband dies and she success, she marries the six brothers in turn after each one dies, right? And then ask who will she be with after the resurrection? And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were trying to make a point about how absurd this is, that, you know, there is resurrection, that you might be married afterwards. And Jesus says that after the resurrection, people neither marry nor are given in marriage. And so remember, the purposes of lover marriage that I named at the beginning are to continue the man's name and inheritance and to protect his widow in this patriarchal culture. And so Jesus's response suggests, at least to me, that after death, women will not need the protection of a husband or a son. And so I think maybe Jesus is saying here that there's no patriarchy in the kingdom of heaven. I really hope so. And as I said, this is just one example. I see themes like this all over the Bible when I read these stories together next to each other. And I could just go on and on. But this is one example of the importance of selecting these texts because I had never heard a sermon about Tamar before working on this. These are stories that we don't always hear. And we lose a lot when churches only have preaching about women one Sunday a year on Mother's Day on Proverbs 31. We need more stories about women in the Bible. And so I want churches to spend an entire year preaching on women in the Bible and feminine images of God. You could even take two years and preach on these texts. There are more than enough passages. And I know that not everyone has that kind of flexibility. Um, so as Leanne has just shared, I put together a set of sermon series for you. Um, so if you want to take some of these sermon series and preach on um, some of these texts, you can. Or if you are using the Revised Common Lectionary, I use many of the passages from that. And so you can follow along in the Women's Lectionary and preach from the Revised Common Lectionary as well. And uh, I saw earlier the question about preaching on the Whore of Babylon. I have a commentary <laughs> for that. I actually use it quite frequently because I have been uh, teaching a class on evil queens and wicked stepmothers. And the last uh, woman, uh, woman in quotes, uh, that is in that class is the Whore of Babylon and how these images are important and how we need to address them in our sacred text. So. I recommend that to you. And I just hope that my book will be a resource for you. I hope that you will use it, that it will give you inspiration, and that it will encourage you to preach some of these stories that we don't always hear. Thank you.